We're going to be looking at various verses here from Numbers and Deuteronomy. We'll go ahead and read the Word of God first. Numbers 14. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. Verse 22 of Numbers 14. Not one of those who saw my glory and the signs that I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me these ten times, not one of them will ever see the land which I promised an oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. Number 16, verse 46. Then Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer. And put incense in it, along with the burning coals from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord, and a plague has started. Verse 47 of chapter 16 in Numbers. So Aaron did as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead. And the plague... Stopped. And you know these verses. Deuteronomy 6, verse 3. Hear Israel and be careful to do, to obey, so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of our ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Let's pray. God, we need you like a shepherd to lead us. We go astray. Our hearts are wandering far from You. Bring us to Yourself. Draw us to Yourself. Even in the midst of this time and all of these distractions and all of the the anxiety and the worry in our hearts, God, press all of that out that we might be able to focus on You and see the beauty of Your Son in a way that we have never beheld it before. Is the one who takes our wandering hearts home and brings them home to you. Amen. Amen. Monday morning. Taste great, feeling healthy. By Monday evening, the tide and the winds have changed and I'm at community group and I look and I see that this must be the best potluck that our community group has ever, ever had. And Tuesday, all day, always eating and never full. So what, what's, what's going on? What happened here is that knowing we were going to be doing the, the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, and they're eating this manna, but constantly complaining in order to enter into the text. I decided I'm only going to eat one thing this week. 
smoothies. Primarily, kale, spinach, and Swiss chard smoothies. It's, it's like a, a green sludge, basically, <laughs> is what you're trying to eat. And Wednesday comes along, and I find myself just like involuntarily grabbing for food that I see other people eating. When you're at the table with the kids and you're telling them to get them to eat, it's like, ah, oh, you have to pull yourself back and pull yourself back. And then come Thursday, I've nearly just given up on eating. On Tuesday, I, I kept eating, but I was always hungry. Thursday, I've just more or less given up because I can't stomach another green sludge drink that is just... I mean, it's given to you by the providence of God, but there's... You can't stomach it. And then Friday, you come home, and it's taco night. <laughs> and you smell the, the spiced chicken as you come in the door, and the, the oil from the shells is like wafting over you as you come in. And you celebrate by drinking a green sludge smoothie. And then yesterday, you're so close. Only one more day till after church. And what happens is the Gilberts bring by some cinnamon rolls <laughs> that are the, the, the best cinnamon. They're, they're so good. They're like, they're, they're worth having more children just on the off chance that they sign up for your meal trade and actually give you some. It's, it's entirely worth it. They're that good. But no, you partake in another kale, spinach, Swiss chard smoothie. And you know what happened in my heart most of the week? I grumbled like a little baby is what I did. I was no different than these guys. There were not nearly enough prayers of thankfulness. I'm not starving to death. I have all the food I could want. It was just this one particular food. But no, it's not enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. And our fickle and our wandering hearts... They're like those of our forefathers. We have everything, everything that is eternal is given to us in Christ. But we push it aside, don't we? We push it aside with our wandering hearts and supplant it with the things that are of this world. And the end result is that we're just not satisfied. And our hearts are wandering. So as we look at these, these texts this morning, we're going through Numbers and Deuteronomy. As we look through them this morning, I want you to see that your wandering heart will be brought home and your wandering heart will be brought home. Not through satisfying it in things of this world, but no, your wandering heart will be brought home and it will only be brought home in Christ. So we'll look at these Numbers 14 and Numbers 16 we're going to be looking at. And you're going to see that God's faithfulness will overcome our rebellion. And then briefly at the end here, we're going to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomos, the second giving of the law. They're right on the cusp of coming into the promised land. And you see, how do you respond then? What's our response to God redeeming us and, and bring our, our wandering hearts back home to Him? Well, we love the God. We love God with an active obedience. So you guys are astute observers. As you very well know, we're 
in the process of just going through the whole book. Not verse by verse, but very quickly. Seeing how all of this is pointing together with Christ. We're actually becoming more and more connected with the world around us. But we're becoming less and less connected with our past. And we care less and less about the future. But when we step back, and then we begin to see that all of history has been pointing to Christ, as Mike's been letting us know throughout our study in the Kings. All of this, all of this has been pointing towards Christ. Not only our past, but in our future as well. Everything will be ordained by Christ, and everything will be unto His worship and unto His glory. But when we begin to figure that out, and then we begin to look at our own lives, we can begin to see that maybe, perhaps by God's providence, even our own lives are to be pointing to Christ as well. So as you, as you all know, it begins in the garden. Adam and Eve, they're sinless and blameless, but they're not beyond judgment. They eat to the fruit. But in the midst of this judgment, there is hope that the seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And this big promise takes a, a step forward with Abraham when he's given this promise of land and seed. And that his, through him, all of the nations of the, world, of the earth will be blessed. And it seems as though this promise is going to come to true fruition. It's going to happen, right? Jacob's coming along. He has a multitude of children. Things are looking wonderful. Their hope is high. And then they're in Egypt. 400 years of, of slavery and toil and oppression that they're living under. With nothing. Nothing but the promises of God to sustain them through their horrific lives. But then the cries of God, they stir, the cries of the people stir the heart of God and move his hands and he redeems them. He pulls them out of this bondage and out of this slavery. And it's, it's, it's quite poetic how it happens. They kill the Hebrew sons. God kills the firstborn son of all of the Egyptians, even the cattle. They would kill the Hebrew sons by throwing them in the water. The Egyptian army, sons of many mothers, are drowned in the Red Sea. They oppress the Hebrew people for their own financial gain to build cities and to build monuments. And what did the Egyptian, or what did the Hebrew people do? They plunder them on their way out. And this awe-inspiring hand of God is delivering them. And they go down to Egypt as a family and they come out as a nation. And God delivers them through the Red Sea and they come to Mount Sinai and they see it shaking and quaking with the glory of God that has come down in their midst before them. And they build a tabernacle. They have gifted men, gifted by this. You should be encouraged with this. We should all be encouraged with this. Gifted to do tangible things in this world. Bezalel, Ohaliav, gifted by God, gifted by the Spirit, to build and create. And they're there. And what's going on here is, 
it's not just a tent. It's, it's not as though, oh, it's hot. I'd like a tent. That'd be great. No, you, what you're beginning to see with this tabernacle is it's a spark. It's, a, it's a, uh, a little glimmering light that God is again beginning to dwell with man as he did in the garden. The presence of God is there in the, between the cherubim and the, the top of the ark. And this is in the Holy of Holies, which you have to go past the holy place to get in. And it seems as though everything couldn't be any better once again. But there's this massive problem, as Adam talked about. Not even Moses can go in. He's unclean. We're all unclean. And so you have through Leviticus is that we see this picture that the only way to come back into the presence of God is through sacrifice. Not just sacrifice of anything, but a sacrifice of a spotless animal, a blemish, without any blemish whatsoever. So you have this, this spotless, pure sacrifice coupled with, remember in Genesis 22 how they were going up the, the mountain and you're gonna, Abraham was gonna sacrifice his firstborn son of the promise. And now you're already beginning to see how everything is woven together and pointing towards Christ. And they must be thrilled, right? They're out of slavery. They have their tabernacle. They're well on their way to the promised land. They have the presence of God with dwelling among them. And God, by His providence, has given a way for them to now come into His presence once again to atone for their sins that they might be pure and commune with Him, which is the, the longing of every man and woman's heart. They must be thrilled. But we see in numbers that what did they do? They just grumble. Go to the, go to the end of, of chapter 10 here. We're going to start in verse 33. So they sent out from the mountain of the Lord that they were sitting at, they were at Mount Sinai for one year. It was right after Passover. They left again. So they set out from the Lord and traveled for three days. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them during these three days to find them a place to rest. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Whenever the Ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, Lord, may your enemies be scattered and your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, Lord. Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. So God is, is leading them. The, the cloud moves and they pack up the tabernacle and they get in their formations and they march along and they follow this cloud. God is leading them to fulfill the promises that He's given them. The hope that has tied this nation together is being fulfilled in their midst. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, when the Lord heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the people on the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the place was called Arabah because the Lord, the fire from the Lord had burned among them. Chapter 11, verse 4. The rabble 
with them became began to crave other food. I, it happens. I can only imagine. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. It's like Tuesday afternoon. If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers and the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never, we never see anything but this manna. And the manna, they would go out and they would gather it in the morning and they would grind it up and they would boil it and, and they would have some cakes then to eat. And admittedly, we have to admit this time between is quite difficult. So what's going on is that they've left the land of slavery. They've left Egypt, but they're not in the promised land. They're in this time in between. Think of the Christian life being pulled out of slavery, but not yet home in the promised land. This is us right now. We're in this time of wandering, holding on, clinging on to the promises of God, that it will come true, that this promised land will will be worth it. And our hearts are drawn, so they're, they're drawn towards the very things that enslaved them. And our hearts, admittedly, you have to admit it, are often drawn towards the sins that used to entangle us. I love sobriety. Yes, I do. I love sobriety. And as, but as destructive as it was, I was a lot of fun to run around. Or, I will stay faithful to my husband. I know that. But, I had some pretty good boyfriends. How quickly our hearts will turn and we begin to grumble. Grumbling like little children. I was I was astounded at it this week. Like just uh, little things would just send your heart into spiraling down. You know, We're, it's as though we haven't gotten past being two years old. If we don't get what we want, very quickly, we're going to grumble in our hearts until we get it. And I wish this this rebellion. In their lives and in our lives. I wish it ended with a little bit of correction. But they want meat, right? They want meat. And God brings it. A day's journey this way, a day's journey that way. Quail is surrounding the camp. Three feet deep. That's a lot of birds. And they can't help themselves. But while the meat was still between their teeth, Moses writes, while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. You see that Numbers 11. 
They want to sustain themselves. They're not praying and thanking God. Thank you for sustaining. Thank you for pulling us out of Egypt. Thank you that my children will not grow up in slavery. No, it's God, give me more. I don't like my job. Give me more. Well, then it continues on. It continues on. You see that Moses is, even his brother and sister rebel against him. And then you even have the, the worst rebellion of it all. In the midst of all of their complaining, God brings them along, basically kicking and screaming to the southern end of the, of the promised land. They're in Kadesh Barnea and they have 12 spies, 12 spies drawn one from each tribe. And they send them into the promised land. And they go from the south all the way to uh, Rehob, way up the north, and they come back. And they bring the report. And it is everything that God had promised them. Everything that God had promised them. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. But, but the, the people are strong. And the, the, cities, the cities are fortified. And they have the, the, their eyes, the same as our eyes, and we don't see it as an opportunity for the grace of God to shine through. Out of the whole nation, there are so, so few that are faithful. Out of all these 12 spies, the best of the best men representing each tribe, only two of them are faithful. And here's what they feel to recognize. They, they missed the magnitude of what was lost and what was happening. That God was in the midst, that God was in their midst in, in, in the process of fulfilling His promises to them. But it wasn't about them and their fear. Actually, He didn't need them. He didn't need them at all. But their fear was a direct result of them overestimating themselves. And they thought that they were going to be the ones who were going to be delivering the promises of God. So of course they look at these other nations and they, they tremble in fear. But they don't see that it's not about them. It's about God fulfilling His promises through them for His glory. So they don't have the eyes, to faith, the eyes of faith to see it. That against all odds, God will redeem him and fulfill his promises and bring them into the promised land. Again, we're, we live with the same eyes. We experience the grace of God over and over again, but we forget it over and over again. We rejoice that we have a newborn baby. And then you grumble. You're not sleeping. You finally, you finally get this bride of yours, this husband of yours that you've been longing for and praying for. And then you realize they sin too. You might not have known that, but they actually do. Or you experience God's provision through a job. And then you grumble that you have to go work at your job. 
Or you're allowed to stay home with your kids. God, it's, it's a wonderful thing. You are allowed to stay home with your kids, help raise your kids while your husband's off at work. And then you grumble that you never get to leave the house. This is all of us. It's so easy for us. This was incredibly convicting for me this week. It's been, Before this, you'd read through numbers and you'd go, wow, these guys are idiots. They, they, they just don't get it. You see quail, you're begging for food, don't eat the quail. Don't eat it. Don't murmur against Moses. He's your brother. You're going to end up with leprosy. Don't rebel against Moses. Korah's rebelling. So what's happening here is God brings a perfect judgment against them. You don't want to enter the promised land? You're, you're afraid to go in? These people are too great? You don't think it's about me? You think it's actually about you? You don't want to go into the promised land? Fine. You're not going in the promised land. And it brings judgment upon them. You see this verse in our bulletin here. Verse 14. Chapter 14, verse 20. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. Not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. There's no hope for them. There's no hope whatsoever. Do you know what they do? They continue grumbling. That's what they do. That's what we do. They have this rebellion where uh, Korah rebels against Moses, trying to usurp his authority and everything like that. Do you know what God does? Opens up the ground, swallows him, all of their provisions and their whole family. Ground closes up. Done. Problem solved. Now, finally, you guys have learned your lesson, right? Next verse. The very next day. The people begin to grumble. We begin to grumble. You see God provide in your life time after time again. And we grumble. So then God's had enough. He's just going to wipe them out completely. Moses says to Aaron, He's going to burn them up with a plague once. And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put the incense in it, along with the burning coals from the altar. Hurry to the assembly and make atonement for them. He knows the judgments of God's going to come and just wipe them all away. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. And the plague had already started among the people. You can see the tension rising and rising. But Aaron offered an incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead. 
and the plague stopped. So God isn't changing. The way He deals with them is the same way way He's going to deal with us. You need one who can stand between the living and the dead. You need one who can stand between the judgment of God that you rightly deserve and where you currently are. You need one who is a mediator, you could say, between you and God. One who will plead on your behalf and one who will take upon himself the wrath of God so that you might not be consumed even though you deserve it. There's only one who can do this. And it's Christ. There's only one God and one mediator between God and man The man that is Jesus Christ. And you want this to be true, even if you're not a Christian. You want this to be true. Your heart is wandering. And you're grumbling. Why? Because you know that this isn't it. You know that there should be more. And you want someone to stand between you and God. Someone to... And you see the failures of your life? And your heart is wandering and it's broken. And you want someone who can not only take the punishment of God that should be coming on you, but you want someone who can come along and actually draw you towards God. That's what you want and that's what you need. And that is Christ. I hope you're seeing that Christ is everywhere in this. Even in the manna that they're eating. Go to John chapter 6. Jesus is is, uh, just done feeding the 5,000. He's walked on the water. And they begin having a discussion with the Pharisees about the bread. And they say, well, God gave a sign through Moses with with the manna. What, What sign do you have for us? And they ask him for a sign. And Jesus said, Verily, verily, very truly, I say unto you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread. Give it to us. We want this. We want to be sustained. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, but whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And you have to ask yourself, one, is this true? In your wandering heart, is Christ the only one that can sustain you? One, is it true? Number two, do I believe it in my own heart? So many of us, so many of us are like this generation that has left Egypt and they've seen the grace of God and the goodness of God and they've seen it out there and they've seen it out there and they've seen it out there. But they don't care about it in their own heart. And Christ is inviting us to come and partake of Him. 
the true bread of life. Or you will just die. The death that we deserve. So what do we do then? Okay, it's true. Yes, yes, I believe it in my own heart that Christ will sustain me. That He is the bread of life to bring my wandering heart into the promised land. What, what then do we do? Go to the Shema. Hear, O Lord, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. That's the answer. There's only one thing to do. To love. Implicit in this, in, in this, in this Shema, this, this hearing is implicit, is uh, an obedience. You have this with your kids as well. They don't do quite what you want. You say, well, didn't you hear me? Implicit in that is if you heard me, you must obey me. So hearing is not just a, a hearing the vibrations, sound vibrations, but a, an act of obedience as well. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And this ahav to love is not just, it is feelings and affections. Yes, it is that. But coupled with that, the genuine outflow of that is action. As we wrap this up very quickly, this is why this is transformative. Because we are surrounded by a people in this city, even in our families, we are surrounded by people who are wandering. Yes, they're moving. Yes, they have jobs. Yes, they have families. But they're aimlessly wandering, awaiting death. And this week, you get to be the one to go and show them this love. The love of Christ that has brought your wandering heart back home and that can bring their wandering hearts back home as well through Christ. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we come before you tired and weary from wandering from one thing to the next. Just draw us to You, God. Draw us to You that we might make a straight line towards Your face and towards Your glory and towards all of Your beauty, Father. Let's be prepared to move and to live out this love that You have given us, God. And quiet our hearts when we grumble so ungratefully for what you have given us, God. But let us rejoice in the riches that you have given us through Christ. It will be more than enough to sustain us throughout all of eternity. Have our eyes opened, God, that we might see the beauty of what we have in your Son, that we can live out this life through faith. Amen. Amen.